I want to take a minute before we begin today, and I want to talk about something that you may or may not have already heard about. But, but overnight, right here in our area in Monterey Park, there was another mass shooting last night. And uh, um, the details, as I understand it, is that it was a Chinese New Year celebration in a dance hall, and somebody came in and opened fire. And uh, the result of that thus far, as far as I'm understanding, is that 10 people were killed and at least 10 more hospitalized. And this is right in our backyard. And like you, I am so sick of hearing about senseless, ridiculous killings. And um, it breaks my heart to think that we live in a world where this has become more commonplace, and it's not even as shocking as it once was to have this kind of an attack take place. And I just feel like as the, as the church, as the light of the world, as the body of Christ in this world, uh, it's our responsibility to shine light in the midst of darkness, amen? And it's our responsibility to, to pick up the mantle and pray in times like this. We should be leading the way in prayer. We should be leading the way in caring for the hurting. We should be leading the way in shining the lights of Christ in the, in the midst of the darkness. And so um, I think before we get into the word this morning, it's just appropriate for us as a, as a church family to bow our heads and pray together. And just lift up these needs and pray for those who are impacted by the shooting and pray that this kind of stuff will stop. So let's bow our heads and pray together. God, as we rejoice in the joy of knowing that in Christ death was arrested and real life is made available to us, we are also reminded that um, death continues to have a field day in this world. And Lord, we know that uh, when you return, all of that will come to a screeching halt. But for now, we still live in a broken world and our hearts are broken as is yours. We hear about this senseless tragedy. I think about innocent people whose lives were lost. I think about the families of those people who have to find a way to carry on. I think about those who are injured and need your healing and your comfort and your, pay, your peace. I think about even now doctors and nurses and medical professionals who are working on the wounded. I think about the police who put themselves in great danger every day to protect us and have to deal with these sorts of things and are doing the investigation to figure out what's going on and bring about justice. Lord, we know that you are the only source of true justice. And we come to you now because you're not just a God of justice, but you're a God of mercy. And we're crying out for your mercy upon those who are injured, those uh, families of those who were killed. Um, and we're praying, Father, that uh, you would bring healing to our society and that we would stop hearing about this stuff, that this stuff would stop happening. We know that by your spirit, you can transform lives. And when you transform lives, you transform cultures, and we pray that you would do that in our midst, in our time, in our day, and if you would be so gracious, God, use us to shine the light of Christ into this dark and broken world. We thank you that despite all of this, in Christ, death is arrested and new life begins. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, guys. 
um, as, uh, as some guy with a big head on the screen told us a minute ago, um, we're going to be diving into the book of 1 Peter today, and we're going to be there for a while. So if you have one of these old-fashioned leather and paper Bibles, you might want to take one of these little strings that runs to the bottom, find the book of 1 Peter, and just put a marker there because you're going to need to be there. Now, if you're going, where is 1 Peter? Just go to the back of your Bible. It's very near the back of your Bible. There's about five books there in the back that are little books. Find the book of 1 Peter. It's a letter written by Peter to all of the churches, and we're going to dig into that this morning. But you're going to need to know where that is. Those of you who have cool little devices on which you're reading your Bibles, just uh, let's find 1 Peter on there and mark it as well. Um, th- I, want, I want to ask you to use your imagination for a second. I want to ask you to think about, imagine if God did a really strange thing. Imagine if, um, if God decided that he was going to send the Apostle Peter to our church. And that, that coming down out of heaven, Peter would come and, and we could send out a, a social media blast this week saying, hey... Don't miss church on Sunday. We have a guest speaker, and our guest speaker is Peter, right? Do you think any of you would miss church that day? I'm guessing you're thinking, well, he's not as good as Pastor Doug, but we'll listen anyways, right? And, and I'm thinking, um, I would so love, not even maybe to come to church while Peter was preaching, but I would love to just go out to dinner with the guy and sit down and ask him to tell me some stories, right? I, I feel like... Peter is one, among all the apostles, Peter's the guy you can have a beer with, right? Don't you think? I don't really drink beer, but I'd have like a frappuccino with him or something like that, which doesn't sound nearly as manly. But anyways, he probably wouldn't be seen with a frappuccino drinking guy, so I don't know. But but I would just love to hear him tell his stories, right? He was there firsthand, eyesight on Jesus. We get all these stories in the scripture about Jesus, and yet he was there for all the stories that aren't told. And, and you know, when you, see, you get to the end of the book of John, he goes, listen, I'm writing this stuff that you would know about Christ and that in him you would have life. I haven't written everything down. None of us have written everything down, he says, because if we decided to write down all that he did and all that he said, there's probably not enough paper in the world to hold these stories. And I would love to just sit with Peter, even the stories that we have in scripture and hear him tell those stories. I would love to hear him talk about that night when he was out there on the Sea of Galilee, just another night. The guy was a fisherman. This is where he lived. This is where he grew up. This is where he went with his father as a child and he had been there his whole life. He went out onto the sea and worked his tail off all night and he caught exactly nothing. And I can imagine if you've ever been fishing, I don't know how many of you are fisher people, but if you had, if you've ever been fishing and caught nothing, that's a pretty disappointing day, but it's still a really relaxing way to spend a day, right? Not for a guy like Peter. He doesn't feed his family if he doesn't catch anything. And he's out all night working, not the kind of guy who casts a line, he's the kind of guy who throws a heavy net over the side of the boat and waits for it to fill up and then brings the fish in. He comes in at the end when the sun is just coming up and and docks his boat and sells his fresh fish there at the market right on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he comes in and he's got nothing. He's had a terrible night of fishing and um, there he sees 
Jesus. And Jesus says to him, hey, um, can I just borrow your boat for a minute? Now, professional fishermen don't loan out their boat. So Peter says, I'm not giving you my boat, but you're welcome to stand in my boat and I'll stay here with you. And he takes him out just a little ways because there's a huge crowd beginning to form. They've heard about this guy, Jesus. It's right at the beginning of his ministry and he stands in Peter's boat while Peter sits there with the oars just trying to keep Jesus from falling into the water. And Jesus preaches. And then Jesus does this. He looks at, at Peter and he says, hey, um, go back out to that spot over there and let your nets down. And this is the part that Peter doesn't exactly tell us, but I'm guessing that Peter looked at him and said, hey, you're a pretty good preacher. I'm a pretty good fisherman. Why don't you do what you do and I'll do what I do? How about that? Don't tell me how to do my job. Jesus says, I want you to go out. I want you to drop your net. And just out of respect for Jesus, he goes back out, drops the net, and you've heard the story. The net is so full of fish that his boat is sinking just trying to get, he has to whistle for the guys on the shore to get in their boats and come out. They fill two boats completely with fish to the point where the boats are sinking and they have to drag them in. And Peter's response is he looks at Jesus and he goes, my Lord and my God. (laughs) He immediately goes, oh, there's something about about this guy, something incredibly different. And it's shortly after that, Jesus says, okay, then are you willing to leave these boats, leave these nets and follow me? And he calls these fishermen, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and he calls these guys to leave their business and to follow him. And he says, you won't be fishermen anymore, you'll be fishers of men. And it's right after that, that uh, they go to Peter's house. Now, of the disciples, Peter's the only one we know that was married. And so he's answered this call from Jesus saying, hey, follow me. I want you to like leave your entire investment. You know, this business you inherited from your father, I want you to leave it. Just forget about the boats. Whoever wants the boats can take the boats. Whoever wants the nets can take the nets. You're just gonna walk away from this whole thing you've invested your whole life in and follow me in a job that doesn't pay anything. And Peter says, um, okay, but you're gonna need to come with me and tell my wife. Because <laughs> I'm not having that conversation on my own. And they go back to his house, and when they get there, they find out that his wife's mother is deathly ill. And Jesus just takes her by the hand and lifts her up and heals her instantaneously and miraculously. And that makes it a lot easier to convince Peter's wife. <laughs> and they take off. Maybe he would tell us about that time when they were out in the boat and Jesus was not with them and the storm started kicking up and these professional fishermen thought they were gonna die in the storm and they look out and to make matters worse, there's a ghost coming to them on the water and they're going, oh, a ghost, oh, a ghost. And then Peter goes, I think I recognize that guy. And then you hear the voice of Jesus and he says, do not be afraid. And Peter goes, if it's really you, Tell me to come out and walk with you on the water. And Jesus goes, come on, Peter. <laughs> I could see Peter telling us this story about, okay, the, oh. And he steps out on the water and it holds him. And he's like, oh, this is cool. And he starts walking and then he goes, I can't walk on water. Boom, he begins to sink. Jesus reaches down, pulls him up out of the water, goes, dude, you need to grow in your faith and puts it back in the boat. And Peter, because we know Peter, he goes, yeah, I may have little faith, but what about these turkeys in the boat? (laughs) These guys have no faith. 
and he was right. They all began to grow in their faith. Maybe he would tell us about the time that this uh, synagogue official named Jairus came up to him and said, my daughter is sick unto death. I need you to come right now. If you have any healing power, I want you to come and pray for my daughter. Maybe she can be healed. And he begins to go toward Jairus' house and a bunch of stuff slows him down. And, and then someone comes from Jairus' house and says, don't bother him, your daughter has died. And Jesus goes, you know what? Let's just go to your house anyway. And they go and they find the mourners surrounding the house. And what does he do with his 12 disciples? He says, uh, James, John, and uh, Peter, come with me. And the three of them go into the house with Jesus. And he speaks a word. And the girl who is dead sits up alive. I would love to hear him tell that story. Or the one I really want to hear is how this transfiguration thing all went down. Again, Peter, James, John, come with me. They go up, they spend half a day hiking up to the top of a hill. And when he's there, a mist comes down. And suddenly there is Elijah and Moses and Jesus standing before the three of them. And Peter, of course, can never keep his mouth shut. And so he says, hey, guys, how about I build you a tent? And, and the voice of God comes out of heaven and says, I'm paraphrasing, hey, Peter, how about you shut up? <laughs> He says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Which is fascinating to think about because to Peter, a Jew, the biggest stars in the history of the world are Elijah and Moses. And he gets to meet them up close and personal. In his wildest dreams, he never dreamed something like that could happen. And God gets his attention and goes, hey, take your eyes off those guys. Put your eyes on the one in the middle. He's the one. Wow. He might tell us about that dinner they all had together. Jesus got down and started washing feet, and Peter said, uh, you can't wash my feet. And he says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Peter goes, well, then wash all of me. Jesus goes, Peter, why don't you just let me be in charge for a second? <laughs> he washes his feet, and then he says, you know, before this night's over, you guys are all going to desert me. And Peter stands up and goes, never. And he says right in front of his friends, I believe these guys will probably desert you, but I'm never going to desert you. And Jesus says, you know, before the sun comes up, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter goes, it'll never happen. I will die fighting for you, but I will not deny you. And of course, Peter's there in the garden. Peter, James, John, come with me. I want you to pray for me. And Jesus is undergoing this horrific moment where he's just trying to pray and he's sweating blood and the, the pressure of the cross is all upon him. And Peter and James and John can't stay awake. But then comes the crowd of soldiers with their swords, their clubs, and their torches to the garden and they begin to take Jesus into custody. And what does Peter do? He grabs his sword and starts swinging it. Chops off the ear of Malchus, the slave. Jesus says, Peter, put the sword down. He walks over to Malchus and puts his ear back and heals him. Peter's in shock. And he follows at a distance. And they recognize him. And they began to say, aren't you one of his followers? And he says, no. And somebody else says, no, no, I think I saw you with him. He goes, no. 
Another one says, listen, I recognize your accent. You're from Galilee. You're one of Jesus' guys, aren't you? And he starts letting out four-letter words that you would only hear from a fisherman and not from a fisher of men. And he swears before God that he doesn't know Jesus. And right as he does that, Jesus is led through the courtyard and locks eyes with him. And he runs away weeping. I would love to hear that story from his point of view. I'd also love to hear about the time the women came running back and said, you're not gonna believe this, but the tomb is empty. You guys gotta come and see this. And they get up and some of the disciples begin to move, but not Peter. He sits there and he goes, yeah, you guys go. I, I already blew it with Jesus. And the ladies say, no, no, you don't understand, Peter. When he told us to go get you guys, he said, go and tell Peter and the other disciples. You're the only one that he named by name, Peter. And Peter gets up and runs for the tomb. They find the tomb empty and he, they don't know what to do about it. They find themselves out fishing. And suddenly he sees Jesus again on the shore cooking breakfast. And he swims for the shore and he gets there and has this moment with Jesus where all is forgiven, all is restored, and this new calling from God comes into his life. Peter, you're gonna lead the church. And then Pentecost comes. Huge crowd of people. They're just there to pray. And suddenly there's a sound like a violent rushing wind and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they all begin to stand up and speak in other tongues and everybody's freaking out going, what is this? Are you guys drunk? And Peter stands up and preaches a message from the book of Joel and 3,000 people come to know Christ that day and the church springs into existence by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you love to hear that story from Peter? He was there to hear all of Jesus' words. He was there to watch all the miracles, and as he ages, he feels compelled now to write some stuff down to summarize all the stuff that he thinks is most important about what he learned from Jesus and most important for us to know and to do. And at that point in history, you have to realize the church is undergoing extreme persecution. This is now the second half of the first century, right? And the Christians are scattered all over the Roman Empire because of the persecution that has come in Jerusalem. And the leaders and the followers of Christ are getting massacred. They're getting arrested. They're getting thrown in jail. They're getting put to death. And he sits down to write in the midst of this kind of persecution. And, and this is just as Nero, the emperor, is, is raising up the persecution on the church. I don't know if you've ever heard about all of this or read any of this history, but, but Nero, the emperor of Rome, uh, hates Christians. He's already set the city ablaze and he blamed Christians for it. And now he begins arresting Christians and having them brought. And what does he do with these Christians? He covers them in hot wax hangs them on poles in his garden and lights them on fire to light up his garden at night. It's a message. This is what happens if you follow that king instead of this king. And so the, the persecution is getting tough and he, and he sits down, down to write under that kind of persecution. So the challenges that are faced by these new believers are immense. It really costs them something to follow Jesus. Kind of like 
becoming a Christian today in a place like uh, Iran or Pakistan or, or one of these places. And Peter and Paul at this time are the most famous Christians in the world. They're the most influential Christians in the world and they are targets. And frankly, he's not sure how much time he has left. So he sits down to write what the Spirit is leading him to write for the church of that day and for the church of this day. And Paul did the same thing. Paul wrote multiple of his biblical letters from prison cells while he was awaiting his execution. And it's a good thing those guys did that because it would be under Nero's persecution that that Paul would have his head chopped off. It would be under Nero's persecution that Peter would be crucified upside down and put to death. Listen, we American Christians, we love to talk about how bad things have gotten. How our culture is not only no longer a Christian culture, but it's an anti-Christian culture. And, and how the media seems to be perpetuating that, how the school systems seem to be perpetuating that, how there are social movements that are perpetuating that. Atheism is like the new hot topic. More people into the occult today than have ever been before. And we look at our world and we're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And, and Peter says to us, hey, what are you guys so surprised about? This is what happens this is normal. Christians face opposition. And, and uh, this is how it's always been. Jesus told us that if we follow him, we will be treated the way he was treated. He tells us that if we want to come after him, we better be willing to take up our cross daily and follow him. Now, I know this is not a church growth movement sermon. This is not the kind of thing that makes everybody go, man, I want to be a Christian too. But let me just remind you of something. In Christ, death was arrested and our lives began. And so there's a, con- there's a context to all of this. Guys, Satan has always stood against the church of Christ. The world system has never embraced the people of God. This is not something new. And not all of our difficulties, by the way, come because we're followers of Jesus. Some of it comes just because we live in a broken world. I mean, we just spent time praying about some crazy guy who walked in and shot up a room full of strangers for God knows what reason. It's a broken world. This is a place where Satan is running the show temporarily. This is a place where sin and death are still having their field day. This is a place where, where our, our fleshly hungers and desires as human beings are gonna continue to make these things worse. It's a place where there are storms of all kinds brewing. And so while we don't face the same kind of persecution that they were facing there under Nero, today's American Christians are still living in a broken world. And we're still subject to the attacks of Satan and we still have to face the storms that come our way in life. So while Peter's words in the book of 1 Peter are written specifically to a particular group of churches at that time, the Holy Spirit has inspired him to write scripture that is for every church of all times. And we have the unbelievable privilege of being able to open up a book and hear directly from God himself. In fact, in 1 Peter 5.12, Peter tells us, don't be surprised by these fiery ordeals. And I love what he says, as though something strange were happening. It's not strange, he says. Storms in life are normal, and we're all going to deal with them. 
Some of us are dealing with severe storms in our life right now. And God loves us and speaks to those issues. So 1 Peter is not a book about how to live a life of ease. 1 Peter is not one of those books that the TV preachers love to preach out of. There's not going to find anything in here that says, hey, God wants you healthy, wealthy, and happy at all times. That's not what the scripture teaches, and it's certainly not what Peter tells us in 1 Peter. What he tells us is, listen, I see that you're undergoing a lot of storms in life. Let me give you some practical direction for how you can succeed despite the storms. So we're going to take our tour of God's instruction manual called the book of 1 Peter over the next weeks. And we will not get very far today. Some of you are like, please tell me you're almost done. No, we're not going to get very far today. But I do want to invite you to open, you should have found it already. Let's see if I can find it, the book of 1 Peter. And I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's see if we can get through two verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, follow along as I read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Who's he writing to specifically? He says, I'm writing to Christians who are living as aliens. They're literally um, people who have been chased out of their homeland to save their lives. And they're scattered all over this region that we would now call modern-day Turkey. And, And they find themselves scattered all around that area. And he says, I'm writing this letter to you because you're going through hard times. And so if you are going through hard times, this letter's for you. Maybe you're not going through hard times right now, but you've just come through some hard times. So, so all of us are either going through some hard times or we've just come through some hard times. And then there's the lucky ones who have some hard times coming. But there's hard times, right? Amen, that's your amen. Yeah, that was a weak amen. There are hard times in life, amen? Okay, good, thank you for waking up. I appreciate that. Um, and, and so he introduces himself. He goes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I should take a minute to just define some terms for us here. The word apostle is a word that is used in the New Testament and even sometimes used today. The basic definition of the Greek word that is translated apostle is the word messenger, right? So um, my mailman is an apostle, He is somebody who carries a message from one place to another. Another way this word is translated is ambassador. It's somebody who represents someone and goes to another place under the authority of that person and brings a message to the other place. So the idea of being an apostle is simply to be a messenger. In the simplest of terms, Peter's saying, I'm a messenger of God. And in that sense, we're all apostles if we're Christians. But there were also the 12 apostles with a capital A, and those 12 apostles in the early church are a different category. Uh, Those people are called and appointed by Jesus Christ himself directly. 
They're endowed with special authority. They have power over evil. They're given authority over demons. They're given authority over sickness. And just as Jesus demonstrated this power of God in his life, they're given the power to do the exact same thing. They work miracles, and these miracles give credibility to their message. And you think, well, why do they need miracles to give credibility to their message? Why don't they just use the Bible? The answer is they didn't have a Bible to use. They were writing it. And, and so the Lord gives them these miraculous powers so that when they claim that Jesus is God, people can't just blow them off because they're healing the sick, raising the dead, and casting out demons. And you have to pay attention when you see that sort of stuff happening. And so he gives them that kind of authority. And he also gives them a prophetic gift where they can speak the very words of God directly from God. And they also write the very words of God directly from God. And so some of the, some of the books that we have in our New Testament, most of them are written by these guys who were apostles. And on top of that, they're given authority and they're given leadership responsibility over the entirety of the Christian church. So when Peter begins by reminding us that he's an apostle, he's not just saying that as a way to distinguish him from the other guys named Peter. He's actually telling us that when he speaks, he's speaking with the authority of Christ himself. He's saying that to establish the fact that these words carry God's authority. So we're called to not just read this stuff, we're called to implement it in our lives. We're called to obey the things that the word of God is teaching us to do. So Peter begins his letter to the church by making sure we know that these words are spoken in the name and the authority of Christ himself. And before these words were delivered to us, they were delivered to a specific group of first century Christians. Those Christians living in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he specifies that these followers of Christ are only his church because God chose them. Look at this again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To those who reside as aliens and scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. Don't miss that word chosen. He chose them. Do you remember, those of you who were here last week, we took a little trip over into Romans chapter eight and we looked at what God did for those of us that he's called to be his children. It said that he, he knew us before we were ever created. It said that he predestined us to salvation in Christ. It says that he called us at the right time, gave us the faith to believe, washed away our sins justifying us, and that we are also glorified in him even though we're not yet in heaven because that's coming and nothing can get in the way of what God does. When God chooses you, it's a big deal. <laughs> Just making sure you're awake. And so he tells us that we're chosen, followers of Christ, not because we're so religious, not because we do so many good deeds, not because we're so deserving or so worthy. In fact, he tells us a thousand times in Scripture, apart from Christ, what you're worthy of is hell. But Christ comes, chooses us because of his love, because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his kindness. And so if you're a follower of Christ today, it's not because you're somehow more worthy than others. It's because for reasons none of us will ever understand, God decided to choose us.
I love the way Paul describes this. Just leave your finger in 1 Peter and go over to the book of Ephesians, which is just a little bit to your left. It goes Galatians and then Ephesians and then Philippians. And I want you to go to Ephesians 1. I think maybe next to Romans 8, Ephesians 1 might be my favorite place to go in the scripture. And here in Ephesians 1, verse 3, it begins this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. It's an incredible and undeserved gift of grace to be adopted and called a child of God, given the gift of eternal life. But it also means that we face certain types of storms that we might not even face if we weren't followers of Christ. And like Paul and Peter, we are called to rejoice even in the midst of those storms because it all comes as a package deal, this amazing grace, this gift of eternal life and the trouble that comes with it. And, and we're chosen by God as a matter of pure mercy and grace to be counted worthy to walk through some of the difficult trials of life that come our way. Look again at how we're described in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ. There we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right there, all in the same verse. All of them working in our lives to make us new in Christ. And be sprinkled with His blood, that is the blood of Christ. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And before we wrap up this introduction, I want to emphasize one very important word in this verse. We've been chosen not just to accept these gifts of grace and the struggles that may come with them, but we have been chosen to obey Jesus Christ and his commands. That's a great word to circle in your Bible. It's part and parcel of the calling that if he's going to be our Lord, Lord means boss, and that means we obey him. You see, as we go through this book, we're gonna, do, we're gonna come to some sections. I'm telling you right now, we're gonna come to some sections in 1 Peter that are going to upset you. We're gonna come to some sections in 1 Peter that are going to leave you going, I don't know if, if this is really applicable to my life today. You're gonna see some things in 1 Peter where you're gonna think, you know, um, this is an old book and and. And society has evolved a lot now, and it would probably be different if it was written to us now. Let me just tell you right now, it was written to us now. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Holy Spirit inspired these words, and the things He's going to say to us in the book of 1 Peter, some of them are going to fly in the face of the values of our culture. And some of us are really going to struggle with that. That's why I want to point out, he says that we were called gifted to obey him. His word is true. And Peter reminds us that the same God who called us and saved us by grace 
is the one who commands us and teaches us how to live the abundant life. And let me just remind you, and if you're a parent, you get this. There are some things that God, our Father, tells us, hey, do this and don't do that. Hey, think this way and stop thinking that way. Hey, obey me in this and stop following your flesh. And, and just as our small children hear the things that their parents say to them, um, no, you can't play in the street. Well, if you're four and there's fun to be had in the street, what kind of mean mom would tell you you cannot play in the street? The kind who knows better than you know, right? The kind who loves you more than you love yourself. And our God knows better than we do. And he loves us even more than we love ourselves. And that's saying something because we love us some ourselves, right? But, but when the storms of life come raging, the God who has given us this instruction knew those storms were coming. And he gave us this instruction to bring us through the storm so that we don't get ruined by the storm. So the book of 1 Peter is going to offer us some biblical teaching that will help us to stand firm in our faith in the midst of these storms and to experience God's grace to the fullness in the midst of these storms. It's a great book. It's going to be a great journey as we try to apply it to our lives, and we endeavor to obey his truth, even when it comes to standing firm in the midst of a storm. It's an invitation to us as Christ followers to stand firm and direction on how to do it. Because the storms of life, they come and they go, right? They come and they go for all of us. Every person you meet is carrying some baggage, right? Every person you meet is going through some hard things. Storms come and go in life. And if you find yourself, all kidding aside, in one of those seasons of life where it's just smooth sailing, God bless you. Enjoy every moment of it because I promise you that on the horizon, there's some storm clouds because these storms come. And when the storms come, as they inevitably do, um, we need to make sure that we have built our house on a firm foundation. Remember Jesus' little story about this? He said there's these two guys, they both wanted to build a house, and one of them said, I want to be as close to the beach as possible. He built his house right on the sand, and it was a beautiful house. In the nice warm weather, he could lay out on his backyard and get a tan and sip Mai Tais. It was awesome. But then there was another guy who looked and said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to build my house a little further up on the rock. I can still see the ocean. The view is great, but I'm going to build on a firm foundation. And Jesus said that when the storms came, not if the storms come, but when the storms came, the house that was built on the firm foundation of the rock stood. And the house that was built on the sand was washed away, destroyed, obliterated. And Jesus says the difference between the sand and the rock is the rock is those who hear my words and obey them. It's not enough to hear his words. He calls us to obey them. And when we begin to apply the truth of scripture into our lives and live that way, he doesn't say the storms won't come. He says that when the storms come, you will survive the storm, and come out stronger 
than ever before. Who's up for that? That's good, right? That's what he promises us. I cannot wait to dig into this book more with you. I can't wait to just go mining for nuggets of gold and look at them together and think how we can do this. But what I wanna do as we close today is I just wanna speak to anybody within the sound of my voice right now who is going, man, I'm going through some storms and I have no idea how to come out of this storm alive. Maybe, maybe you know, you just wandered in here today. Maybe a friend invited you. Maybe this church thing is new to you. Maybe uh, you haven't really heard about this grace of God before. Uh, maybe you grew up in some religious system that taught you that you have to do a bunch of good works and that if you do enough good works, you'll make it. But something in your heart goes, yeah, I know that when he looks at my heart, I'm not gonna make it. I wanna remind you. If you've come here today and you're in a storm, Jesus is walking on the water. You look at him and you go, oh no, it's getting worse. It's a ghost. And he goes, no, no, no. It's the Savior. And I've come to set you free. He speaks a word. He can calm the storm. And some of you today are are sitting here undoubtedly going, "Um, I can't manage my life anymore. I don't know how to fix what's broken. I keep stepping in the same holes. I keep pursuing the same habits. I keep running out of hope and I don't know where to look. I just wanna be a voice that says to you, look to Jesus. He came to set us free. And in him, death is arrested and new life begins. And you don't have to earn it and you don't have to pay for it. And you sure as heck don't have to deserve it. What you have to do is receive it. And Jesus comes to us and says, I've already paid the price for your sin. You don't have to keep paying this price. I want to lift you up and carry you. I want to give you new life. Is there going to still be storms for you? Yes, and some of those storms might even be worse. But the difference is I'll be with you. And I'm able to speak a word in calm storms. And so I just want to invite all of us to bow our heads for a second. And I want to give us a moment of just quiet reflection. And if you already have a personal relationship with Jesus, now is a great time to be praying. But if the words that I just spoke about being in a storm and not knowing where to go and what to do and where to look sink into your heart and you say, that's me. I want to tell you right now what the Word of God says. It says we have to admit that we're lost in our own sin. Not to anybody but God. We have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he came to pay the price for our sin on a bloody cross. And we have to receive the grace of a free gift that sets us free in Christ. And so I want to invite you, if that's you, to just silently, right where you are in your own heart, to just pray something like this. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. I've made a mess of my own life. And I don't know how to fix it. But I know that Jesus paid the price for my sin. And I come to you now, Jesus, asking for your grace. I have no argument to say why I deserve it. I don't deserve it.
but I'm asking you to give it to me anyway. I receive you as my Savior, and I accept that you will for now on be my Lord. I choose to give my life to you, to follow you. Come into my life. Set me free from my sin. Arrest death in me and give me new life. In Jesus' name, amen.